Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, my name is Addie Skillman, and this is Loving versus Virginia, the stepping stone for equality in America. Every year at the National History Day contest, middle and high school kids from across the country gather to compete presenting on a range of historical topics. 101st Airborne, turning the tides of war to victory. Rise the repeal, taking a stand against prohibition. Route 66, road of possibilities. Well, Gulfstream, St. Louis, Joplin, Missouri, now Oklahoma City looks so, so pretty. Get your kids on Route 66. But the topic that grabbed my attention was one presented by a 15-year-old from Minnesota. Claire Isaacson, orphan train. The compromise that put children on the right tracks. I'd never heard of the orphan train, but from her first line, Claire had me hooked. Your parents are not your parents. Your past is not your past. Your life begins when you are chosen. Your life begins when you were chosen. An apt way to describe the orphan train, a mostly forgotten 19th century movement that rescued abandoned children from the crowded streets of East Coast cities and delivered them by train to new families across the country. In her presentation, Claire channeled real-life orphan train rider Victoria Moe, a child of Irish immigrants, as she made the trip west. We crossed our fingers and prayed that we'd get a loving home. Many older children were scared and tried to run. Our pasts were left behind on that train station. We were going to have a totally different life in our new homes. I spoke to Claire after her performance. And I'm a little embarrassed that I'd never even heard of, of this before. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I'm, And I, that's why I'm thankful that I did the topic so I can hopefully make more people know about it because it's really a secret and kind of hidden. How big was this movement? Well, a quarter million children were moved west from 1854 to 1929. A quarter million people. That's like the population of Cleveland. That's a lot of people. As I dug into our archives at CBS News, more voices began to surface. Voices of orphan train riders from years past all of them children who had been lifted from dire situations and scattered across the country for hope of a better life. They sent me out west to Colorado Springs. I went to Wayne County, Michigan. I had never heard of anything like Kansas. In this episode, we'll tell you the story of the largest mass migration of children in American history. And I'll travel to Texas to talk to the last known surviving orphan train rider. They took you when you were such a little baby. I was the smallest, smallest, smallest one on that whole train. From CBS Sunday Morning and Simon & Schuster, I'm Moraka, and this is Mobituaries. Mobituaries. 
this moment, the orphan train. May 31st, 1929, death of an American experiment. Extra, extra, read all about it. The Boston Molasses Disaster of 1919. It's a slow read. If you happen to be outside Penn Station in New York City last June, you might have seen a familiar face. Um, what else? Uh, extra, extra, read all about it. Warren Harding, dead. It was the 100th anniversary of the New York Daily News, and I had joined their street team for the day to pass out papers. Look, I love any opportunity to shout random historical facts at strangers. Extract to read all about it, the Sultan of Swat traded to the Yankees. All the Babe Ruth news you want. I love the Babe Ruth thing. But I also wanted to get a feel for what it was like to be a newsie on the streets of New York. You know newsies. They're the plucky dancing paper boys from that Disney musical you loved. But it turns out it wasn't all song and dance. Newsies worked long hours on poor wages. Most of them were abandoned children. And in the mid-1800s, New York City had a crisis of abandoned children. Enter Charles Loring Brace. Charles Loring Brace, from a young age to his, his dying day, really tried to be the best he could be for others. Shaley George is the head curator of the National Orphan Train Complex in Concordia, Kansas. And to tell the story of the orphan train, you have to tell the story of Charles Loring Brace, who was born in 1826 into a well-to-do family in Litchfield, Connecticut. What was he raised to do? Yeah. Uh, Well, his father, who was a teacher, thought that Charles would follow in his footsteps. And he thought, okay, Charles is going to be a teacher. And then Charles decides to be a pastor. But then he realizes that you don't have to be a pastor that stands behind a pulpit. The patrician Charles was going to become a missionary, an idea that greatly concerned his father. Because being a pastor, you know, it's kind of nice. You get invited over to dinner. You've got a nice place where you live. But I mean, when you're a missionary, it's you're kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting out there. He truly jumped into the depths that were being ignored. In the 1850s, mass immigration from Europe, mostly Irish and German Catholics, overwhelmed New York City. Poor sanitation and wild pigs roaming the streets spread diseases like cholera and tuberculosis. Non-existent labor laws meant unsustainable wages and unsafe working conditions. And while the wretched state of affairs touched people of all ages, children felt the effects hardest. There was infanticide happening in New York where these kids were actually literally dying in the streets, in the gutters. These babies were tossed out of homes. Renee Wendinger has written several books about the orphan train movement. She has a personal connection to the subject. Her mother, Sophia, was a rider. Have you ever wondered what would have happened to your mother had she stayed in New York? I don't think in that time frame she would have survived. Charles Loring Brace was determined to help. Remember the Newsies? He created lodging houses for them. But there were far more children in need than there were jobs for newsboys. Give me a sense of the scale of the problem. At one point, they say 10,000 kids are on the street. At another turn, it's 30,000. 30,000 homeless children. 
at a time when New York had fewer than 600,000 people total. Charles Loring Brace saw all this firsthand. It's 1853 in the February of that year. He starts going out um, into the streets and quickly realizes that we're spending more money imprisoning children because you could be arrested for being a vagrant child. And he wants to help. Now, orphanages existed back then, but they were overcrowded. And so-called poor houses put children and adults together, a dangerous situation for kids. So maybe it was best to get them out of New York altogether. He really believed in the idea of getting kids out of the city and out of vice. Vice seems like the perfect word. What he sees going on in the cities with these kids, he just sees it as kind of a cauldron of sinfulness. Basically. But he really doesn't see a way for children to grow up and not be touched by it, not be drawn into it, to live in an orphanage and then be let out at 18 and not fall into a prison. So Brace comes up with a plan to move children en masse to a place where they'll stand a better chance. Put simply, Charles Loring Brace says, we're going to put some kids on a train. Yeah. In 1853, Brace founds the Children's Aid Society to help carry out his grand plan. First, he needs to find people willing to take in abandoned children. He basically selects a community where he knows someone. They're going to go through that church and require that people who apply for them bring two references from their pastor and from their courthouse. Um, and they're going to place them out under the guardianship of the Children's Aid Society. Why is he confident that they're even going to be placed? I think he truly believed that people weren't going to come to New York and take kids out of orphanages. But if he brought them to them, put them in their face, there was no way they could say no. And so he took a chance. Brace makes a deal with a pastor he knows in the small town of Dowagiac, Michigan, and the Children's Aid Society begins to gather the 45 children who will be the passengers on the first orphan train. The majority come from the New York Juvenile Asylum. And technically, that first train we now know by historical records is paid for in half by Children's Aid Society New York Juvenile Asylum. Were any of the kids coerced, pressured, or is this something that they all wanted? It's seemingly like they wanted it, but of course, What's the alternative? Now, orphan train is a slight misnomer. It takes multiple trains and boats to get from New York City to Michigan. For many of these children, it's their first time ever leaving New York City. How scary that must have been on the choppy water and the cliffs and how how many trees there are. Yeah, for these kids, it must have been like going to another planet. Oh, absolutely. A memory of this kind of crossing even made it into Claire's Orphan Train performance. I remember crossing the Hudson River. Oh, the wonder that filled our eyes. All we had ever seen was sorrow and pain. What a new world this was for us. The children arrive in Dowagiac in late September 1854, and no one, not the children, not their caretaker, not the townspeople, really knows what to expect. So they get off the train into Wajiak, and then what happens? The kids are so excited that they're finally in Michigan, their final destination, and they take off. That's right. They run. 
in all directions. Look, they're kids. They've been cooped up on a train for days. Their caretaker can't keep up. He just goes to wait for them at the hotel. Finally, the kids start rolling in, and they have stolen um, everything green, apples and pumpkins and acorns, and have shoved grass and leaves up their shirts, up their shirt sleeves, in their hats, uh, down their pants, in their pockets, because they're so excited they've never seen everything where it grows. And I'm curious, do they know that you're not supposed to steal? Possibly not. (laughs) And I'm just, I'm trying to imagine what the people in the town are thinking. I bet they're alarmed. They probably are alarmed. The people of Dowagiak, after all, are scheduled to meet the orphan train riders that day at church. You can imagine that already they're regretting welcoming the orphans to town. But when they get to church... They're greeted with a surprise. The first thing that they really hear from the kids are are Sunday uh, hymns. And they are singing, uh, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. The kids went over the town. They're placed within a week. All of them. Mm -hmm. So this first ride had to be considered a success. Absolutely. Two months later, a second train leaves New York, and the orphan train movement begins in earnest. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And now, a pop quiz, because I love pop quizzes. It's easy to overlook, but so much of America's history, innovation, arts and entertainment, politics, has been driven by individuals who grew up adopted or in foster families. I'm going to give you some clues, and you have to guess which famous orphan I'm describing. 
If you get two out of three, you win. There are no prizes. Our first clue? Before this former president, Stanford graduate, and self-made millionaire was roasted in the Broadway musical Annie for his role presiding over the Great Depression, he was raised by distant relatives in Oregon after losing both of his parents to pneumonia. It's Herbert Hoover. Fun fact, one of his nicknames was the hermit author of Palo Alto. Next, this fast food mogul, whose grandma's advice not to cut corners inspired his decision to make his iconic burgers square instead of round, was adopted as a baby and used his wealth and influence to help others with childhoods like his, creating a foundation that still supports foster children around the country. I'm Dave Thomas. I started Wendy's with one restaurant. It's Dave Thomas. Fun fact, before he created Wendy's, he was the mastermind behind the fried chicken bucket that put KFC on the map. Finally, this adopted child would become famous at the ripe old age of 10, playing the lead role in a series about a family living on the prairie in Minnesota in the 1870s. I've decided something. What's that happen? Home is the nicest word there is. It's Melissa Gilbert. Her show, Little House on the Prairie, would have storylines revolving around orphans throughout its run, including one played by friend of the podcast, Jason Bateman. Well, we hope you meant what you said about how you want us to stay. Because that's what we want, too. Speaking of little houses and prairies, let's get back on that orphan train. As the Children's Aid Society grew, it sent hundreds, then thousands of children all across the country. Now, almost none of the riders are alive today. But back in 1979, my CBS Sunday morning colleague, the great Martha Teichner, interviewed sisters Anna and Margaret Fuchs. They and their third sister, Helen, rode the orphan train when they were just 10, 9, and 7 years old. They were orphaned after losing both their parents to tuberculosis. Margaret remembered seeing their mother's burial. The thing that really got to me was seeing that coffin being lowered. And I can remember trying to jump into that grave because that was my mother down there. When the children were put on a train in 1924, they didn't even know where they were headed, as Anna remembered. I was had very strong uh, ideas that I was going to California. <laughs> I didn't know there was any other state besides New York and California, as far as I was concerned. Margaret described their arrival in the tiny town of McPherson, Kansas. First thing I did was to look around and, how come they're letting us out in the middle of nowhere? I couldn't see any buildings. I was looking for skyscrapers. (laughs) Whenever orphans sent by the society arrived at their destination, they were lined up on a train platform or on the stage of a theater so that families could walk down the line and pick out their preferred kid. As author Renee Wendinger explains, this process actually gave rise to a familiar turn of phrase. Some of the children would have stood on a little box called the soapbox, and that's how the term put up for adoption became known as we know it today. If it sounds impersonal, well, that's an understatement. Here's how 15-year-old Claire Isaacson described it in her National History Day performance. Babies were usually chosen first. Then the tougher, stronger-looking boys. 
Us girls were usually chosen last. We watched people come and go and inspect all the children. We saw them looking at their teeth and even having some boys do push-ups. Martha Teichner asked Anna Fuchs about her experience. Did you ever feel any outrage or any any anger at the fact that you were being kind of lined up there and say, okay, uh, pick out a kid? No, I don't think so. I think it's a matter of you sort of blame yourself for having lost your folks. The sisters were all selected, but by different families. How big a thought was that when you were standing there the day that you were both selected by families, seeing each other and seeing goodbyes and wondering what's going to happen? I think it was sort of a case that there was so much confusion and all that uh, we didn't really have that much chance to think about it, did we? I don't think uh, the thought entered my mind at all until... uh, I got there and sat on that stepladder in the kitchen, and then it finally hit me. You are alone. That was when you started and crying. And that's when I start in. Sibling separation was an added trauma thousands of orphan riders suffered over the years. Were you scared? Yes. Sure. I think we just wanted to be sure that we were going to be close enough together so that we get to wouldn't lose each other. Why was that so important? What was... It's... We were family. (laughs) That was all the family there was. Even though Anna and Margaret were both taken in by families in the same town, their lives took very different turns. Anna became extremely close to her new mother, Jenny Bankston. She was a person I could trust. When I first came here, when I came out here, that was one thing. I did not trust anyone. I had lost faith in people. I, I really feel like I've had two mothers. Margaret, meanwhile, was taken in by the Runyon family, who ran a local boarding house. They enlisted Margaret to help with cleaning and cooking for guests. It was a pretty cold, business-like relationship. I always had the feeling that I was there in place of a maid. Now, these weren't formal adoptions, at least not at first. But the families riders ended up with were bound by contract. Parents had to make sure the children went to school and church. There were expectations for the kids as well. Yes, the child had to, you know, be a child and listen to those parents and help out around the house. And and a household at that moment operated like a little business, whether you were the birth child or the adopted child or the foster child. Basically, what you're saying is being a kid in the 19th century wasn't very fun. No, no, absolutely not. But that didn't make it any easier. For orphaned children hoping to find a family, arriving to one like Margaret's was hard. I honestly don't remember whether I called them mom and dad or whether I called them Mr. and Ms. Runyon. What does that tell you about your experience? Well, uh, just that uh, there wasn't that kind of love there or affection of any kind. Does it hurt you that you never had that? Does it... uh... Oh, yes. Yes, uh particularly when I knew the the kind of a home that Anna was in where she was getting that kind of affection and all. Margaret's situation wasn't rare, but spurred by the Children's Aid Society's success, other organizations began to follow suit. And in 1869, the second largest orphan train institution began. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Earlier, I quizzed you on some of America's most prominent real-life orphans, but they're not nearly as famous as some fictional orphans. Remember that Herbert Hoover song from about 10 minutes ago? Well, it's from a musical centered around an orphan. Why any kid would want to be an orphan is beyond me. It's the hard knock life for us. It's the hard knock life for us. Little Orphan Annie was a star, first of comic strips, then of the Broadway stage. In my opinion, the 1982 movie is only worth mentioning for Carol Burnett's Miss Hannigan. And if this floor don't shine like the top of the Chrysler building, we're backside wheel. You understand? Yes, Miss Hannigan. On television, the 1980s, as it happens, were a boom time for orphan-centered sitcoms, starting with Arnold and Willis on different strokes. Don't get too used to this place. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> then there was Punky Brewster. Why doesn't anyone want me? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. But you don't want me. Neither did my mom. That's why she ditched me. And who could forget Webster? I'm not getting used to you guys. <laughs> and you know what, champ? We're getting kind of used to you, too. It's surprising, given our love of a good orphan story, that the orphan train has been so overlooked. By the time the Civil War ended in 1865, the Children's Aid Society had placed 1,200 children with families in America's heartland. But Charles Loring Brace's organization placed children primarily in Protestant homes, regardless of the fact that many of those babies were born to Catholic immigrant mothers. Enter the New York Foundling Hospital. Once again, Shaley George from the National Orphan Train Complex. 
The New York Foundling Hospital starts in 1869 with two sisters, Sister Teresa and Sister Anne, and then their head of their foundling, uh, Sister Mary Irene Fitzgibbons. And so they start the New York Foundling Hospital in this tiny little brownstone, and within the night, a baby's left on their doorstep. The demand for their services caught them totally off guard. And by the end of the month, they have 45 infants. By the end of the year, they have over 100. And so their mission turned to placing Catholic babies in Catholic homes. Not all of those babies were Catholic when they were left at the door of the foundling hospital. But as one orphan train writer said about the foundling, You might go in one way, but you leave a Catholic. Following in the tracks of the Children's Aid Society, the foundlings started placing children on trains headed west. But these children were much younger, mostly infants, and specifically chosen to resemble the families they were joining. They believed that placing out younger children who matched the family by eye color, hair color, age, and gender would cut back on the stigma from the surrounding community because they looked like the family that they were placed in. So it's sort of the reverse of Children's Aid Society, where the Children's Aid Society sends kids out and then prospective parents choose the kids then. Here, it's more of um, a mail order system, right, basically? That's what happened to Ann Harrison, who was featured on CBS Sunday Morning back in 2002 when she was a spry 93. They had asked for a two-and-a-half-year-old girl with brown hair and brown eyes. Well, they got a two-and-a-half-year-old girl that had auburn hair and hazel eyes. But that was close enough. (laughs) Because she was so young when she arrived, Anne grew up not even knowing she was adopted. Her father made sure of that. Her father basically threatened the entire town to not tell her she was adopted. Her father never wanted her to feel less than, uh, to be thought of that she was not truly um, his daughter. But despite her father's best efforts, the other kids and her own teachers never quite accepted her. I was never popular in school, and that bothered me, and I seemed to always be the oddball. Orphans or adopted children were not really as good class as the other people. I think that was just a general thought, that you were bad seed if you came from people that they didn't know. So a lot of the orphan train riders had to contend with people who were not pleased with them being in town. Uh, The idea is that you're going to inherit traits of poverty, of vice from parents that some never knew. Almost like the orphan train riders are tainted. Yeah, the the negativity of immigration is there from the get-go. The negativity of, of your parents didn't want you. Your parents lost you because they were a drunk or abusive or in prison. Anne would grow up, move to Chicago, and become a professional nightclub singer. She wouldn't find out she was adopted until she was 27 years old. And that wasn't the only surprise waiting for the woman who'd been baptized a Catholic. In 1989, I get this letter from the uh, New York Health Department, open it up, and there's my original birth certificate. Mabel Rubin. My mother's name was uh, Jenny Rubin. My father's name was Mo Cohn. Well, I looked at that and I just split into laughter. 
she just thought, well, <laughs> I'll just go on and add a, a Star of David to my crucifix necklace and just keep going because <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> well, my Jewish friend said we knew it all the time. <laughs> the Foundling and Children's Aid Society together set the lion's share of those 250,000 children west until the last orphan train left for Sulphur Springs, Texas, on May 31st, 1929. The world had simply outgrown the orphan train. Communities in the Midwest now had their own abandoned children to help. But the story doesn't end there. We know how a quarter million children found their way west, but what happened after they grew up? Do you know the name that was given to you at birth? Sophia. Who named you Sophia? Not for my mother or my dad. That's Renee Wendinger interviewing her mother, Sophia Hillesheim Kaminsky. Sophia had been an orphan train rider taken in by Anna Grime, a single woman in Springfield, Minnesota, who spoke only German. She really didn't know how, how to raise, raise children. She, she could not speak uh, English, so I had to learn German. Then when I went, went to school, then I had to read we learned the, the, the English because I could only talk German all the time. So what did you do for entertainment? I didn't have any entertainment. I had to work all the time. But that wasn't the worst of it. Was Anna physically abusive? Yes, yeah, she was. She had a little whip that she kept in the corner. It was a snake-handled whip. And by that, I mean it was sort of a leather-handled whip. And that's the way she would flog her. And she'd say, now you remember this and remember not to do that again. Sophia's orphan train story is a sad one, but it doesn't end at her childhood. She would grow up to become someone vastly different from Anna Grime. Here's how Renee describes her mother. She just had such a warm, open heart. Uh, There is no one that ever knew her would say anything bad about her because she was uh, just a warm, loving person. You know, it's funny that your your mother's story and so many of these other orphan train riders' stories, it sort of underlines how vulnerable children are, but also how resilient. They were the type of people that would just sort of kind of pull the bootstraps up and they would carry on. But my mother would always say, I was just so thankful to have a roof over my head. Your mother had a lot to be angry about. She really did, but she did not have that in her heart. And, you know, I don't know if that's something that we inherit. Is it biological? Is it, do we have the influences uh, around us? Is it our geography? I have no idea, but her arms were always outreach to people. But Renee's mother didn't find peace until near the end of her own life. Did your mother ever forgive Anna? She did not forgive her until she was about, I think she was like 96 years old. And she asked me one day if I would take her to the cemetery. She said, it's time. I need to go to the cemetery and I need to forgive her. So you took your 96-year-old mother to the cemetery. And what did she say? when she was at the tombstone of of Anna. I have no idea what she spoke inside her heart, 
and we walked away and she said, it's done. I needed to do that. She said, I should have done that a long time ago. Now, all the orphan train riders you've been hearing from in this episode, Renee's mother, Sophia, Anna and Margaret Fuchs, Anne Harrison, they're all voices from the past. They're all gone. But I wanted to talk to a rider myself. And so I went down to Texas to meet the last known surviving orphan train rider. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, testing, testing, right here. I'm in a conference room at an assisted living facility in East Bernard, Texas, an hour outside of Houston. Sitting with me, a host of eager relatives. Surrounding 97-year-old Beatrice Wojtek, an actual orphan train rider. The only thing is we know for 97, she's doing great. <laughs> That's her son, George. You're a terrific-looking 97. And, uh, Thank you. And- Appreciate you. You may be the last surviving orphan train rider. How does that feel? Well, I kind of made to believe that because I was the smallest on the train. She's a national treasure. Did you hear that? No. You're a national treasure. <laughs> you are. Because you are. You <laughs> absolutely are. Well, I appreciate that, but I don't think I'm nothing extra from, from any other orphan. Beatrice, the daughter of an Irish immigrant, was only 14 months old when she made the trip from New York City, landing with a Czech family in Texas. She's got a fascinating story. But in the end, the person that seems least interested in it is Beatrice. 
I asked her about discovering she was an orphan train rider. You didn't know that you'd been adopted. I didn't know I was an orphan. I didn't know anything. I was just, I heard that all the time. Your mama ain't your mama. Your mama ain't your mama. Yeah, I didn't pay attention to it. I asked her about her birth mother, who was 29 when she had her. If she knew she stood that chance of uh, getting pregnant, then she should have known that she could have to provide for that baby. Do you wonder what the rest of her life was like? You mean my real mother? No. I asked Beatrice if she ever wondered what she might have missed out on, having been scooped up and moved so far away so young. Well, yeah, I mean, I was adopted into a, uh, into a family, and, and that was my family. That was, that, you know, that was my life. You've never imagined, even for a moment, what your life would have been like if you stayed in New York. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought about that a lot of times. And what did you think? What were you- Thank God I'm, I'm here in Texas. <laughs> I'm satisfied with my life the way it is, and, and I'm so blessed with, you know, the people that adopted me and, and, and brought me up and raised me right and probably much better than my real parents would have. And if you ever do want to come to New York, I've got a guest room. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go see a Broadway show. You ever see Phantom of the Opera? No. It's terrific. (laughs) (laughs) There was no dramatic revelation from Beatrice, no rosebud moment. She didn't render a sweeping verdict on whether the orphan train was good or bad. As she saw it, she rode the train, she grew up, she moved on. It was what it was. But when Beatrice herself passes on, that won't be the end of the orphan train story. Descendants, historians, and budding historians like Claire Isaacson are still telling it today. Does this give you kind of a a new appreciation of the importance of preserving history? I believe it does, yeah. And especially this movement, because it's not well known at all. And I've joined the little community of the orphan train rider, people trying to keep the story alive. And the main way of preserving it is through orphan train reunions. When they first started in the 1960s, they were places for the riders themselves to gather. What these riders would do would stand up and tell their stories. And I found them so intriguing and so interesting. These riders, when they got together, they celebrated for three straight days. I'm struck by how you used the word celebrate. What do you mean celebrate? They celebrated their togetherness as orphan trained brothers and sisters. But as the number of riders has dwindled, they've become a chance for descendants to share memories and stories of their loved ones who have passed on. It's quite amazing. In fact, we feel very much a kinship with each other. We all know what our parent felt or our grandparents felt, and soon, hopefully, the grandchildren of these writers will take over. The legacy of the orphan train movement isn't easy to quantify. While all the writers were impacted by their new communities and families, many grew up to make their own impact on the world. The kids went on to to serve in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea. We have some that served in Vietnam. Just thinking politically, you know, speaking, um, the people who served in our 
in our state governments and our and our Congress. Just some of the orphan train riders who went on to lead lives of distinction, Andrew Burke became the second governor of the state of North Dakota. His friend, John Green Brady, who rode the same orphan train, would become governor of the territory of Alaska. Henry L. Jost became mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, his nickname, the Orphan Boy Mayor, before joining the United States Congress. Joe Aye would become head football coach at Louisiana Tech University and inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. And while we can't confirm it, there's a long-standing rumor in the orphan train community that a former United States Supreme Court justice was a writer, but kept it secret because of the stigma. If you think you know who it was, let us know. The writers certainly made their mark. The Children's Aid Society estimates that there are over 2 million orphan-trained descendants alive today. Yeah, they, they helped shape America. But on a personal level, the trains meant something different to each child who rode them. For Anna Fuchs, it was the best possible solution to a terrible situation. It took a lot of uh, kids off of the streets of New York who might have become prostitutes and uh, beggars and thieves and gave them another chance at life. For her sister Margaret, though, its benefits couldn't justify the pain it caused. For that time, I guess it was as good as anything. It was all it was, but I, I certainly can't go along with it. I feel that the idea of, of taking children and having them lose all contact with any, any other relatives, I think, is wrong. Anne Harrison never let the inauspicious start to her life slow her down. I've had a good life. You think so? Yes. I, I just took opportunities when they came, and when I couldn't find the opportunities, I lived with what, I, what was there. But it's Renee Wendinger's perspective that will stick with me the longest. I am a grandmother, and every time my grandchildren have turned the age of two, I look at them and I think, oh my gosh, this is what my mother would have looked like when she boarded that train at Grand Central Terminal. And I, I really cannot imagine that little child getting on a train to somewhere, to nowhere, I have no idea what my life is going to be like. Wow. And two-year-olds is so vulnerable. Absolutely, so vulnerable. It hits your heart. You know, I, I don't know anyone that does not have a heart for any child. Next time on Mobituaries, Fred Armisen joins me for a salute to the ultimate square and badass band leader and TV host, Lawrence Welk. Could it be seen as something a little bit like, and I'm not trying to be, like make a shocking comparison, but like it's a little bit of like what the Grateful Dead did in that like, just keep going. Just keep going. This is definitely the first Lawrence Welk Grateful Dead comparison ever. But I totally hear what you're saying. I certainly hope you enjoyed this mobituary. May I ask you to please rate and review our podcast? You can also follow Mobituaries on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me, Moraka, on Twitter, at Moraka. 
For more great content about the orphan trains, please visit mobituaries.com. You can subscribe to Mobituaries wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Mobituaries was produced by Harry Wood and Gideon Evans. Our team of producers also includes Megan Marcus and me, Mo Rocca. It was edited by Harry Wood and engineered by Dan DeZula. Indispensable support from Genius Dineski, Kate McAuliffe, Sam Egan, Renee Wendinger, Shaley George, Jason Saka, Alberto Robina, Richard Rohrer, and everyone at CBS News Radio. Thank you to the New York Daily News for letting me join you for your 100th anniversary celebration. And to the New York Foundling for welcoming us to your 150th anniversary. Not that it's a competition. Thanks also to CBS News correspondent Bob McNamara for his 2002 interview of Anne Harrison. We'd like to thank Greg Markway, the families of Anna and Margaret Fuchs and Anne Harrison, Beatrice Foytek and her family, and Linda Fulmer, the orphan-trained descendant and researcher who connected us to Beatrice. Special thanks to our bold, budding young historians from National History Day. Addie Skilling, Tucker Olshevy, Jacob Reed, Evelyn Carpenter, Katie Marakovitz, Jack Anderson, Jader Briggs, Megan Swancutt, Daytona Foley, Logan Smith, and of course, Claire Isaacson and her mom, Joy. Our theme music is written by Daniel Hart. And as always, undying thanks to Rand Morrison and John Carp, without whom mobituaries couldn't live. Hi, it's Mo. If you're enjoying Mobituaries, the podcast, may I invite you to check out Mobituaries, the book. It's chock full of stories not in the podcast. Celebrities who put their butts on the line, sports teams that threw in the towel for good, forgotten fashions, defunct diagnoses, presidential candidacies that cratered, whole countries that went kaput, and dragons. Yes, dragons. You see, people used to believe that dragons were real until... Just get the book. You can order Mobituaries, the book, from any online bookseller or stop by your local bookstore. And look for me when I come to your city. Tour information and lots more at mobituaries.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.